last couple of weeks, a, a friend of mine said recently, he said to me, he said, why, um, why are you going through Peter? I told him I was going through Peter, and he sort of laughed and said, why would you do that? And um, hopefully you all have received, as much as I have, in reading this, first, this letter of 1 Peter, of how relevant it continues to be to us today in this 21st century, the letter that was written for the first century church and how um, it continues to be relevant for us today. If you recall, First Peter was written for mostly Gentiles who were new Christians who were now living in this Roman, Roman Greco world. And the Roman Empire, they were concerned that this new religion, their new, this religion would cause upheaval. And um, upheaval within the household, upheaval within the, within the, the world, in the, the Roman culture. And they were right. It did. And Christianity continues to cause upheaval um, in this world that we see now. Upheaval to create a world that is in God's imagination and not our dreams. So we turn now to the, in our series on 1 Peter, looking at the 4th and 5th chapters. We'll read chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, and chapters 5, verses 6 to 11. I invite you now to listen to God's word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has taken place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that we may exalt you in due time. And cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourself, keep alert, like a roaring lion. Your adversary would dwell, prowls around you, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Elia Owens in her 2018 novel, where the crawdads sing, the teenage Hyatt sits by a lagoon which smells of life and death at once, and an organic juggling of promise and decay, if you would. And she watches the fireflies scribbling across the night. And she's learned that each species of a firefly has its own language, where the female flickers the light under her tail to signal to the males that she's ready to mate. Kaya watches as the female tracks a male of, of her species this way, but then she sees a female change her code. In no time, a male of a different species hovers over above this adaptable female. And then suddenly, we're told, the female firefly reached up, grabbed him on in her mouth, ate him, chewed him up, six legs and both wings and all. And then we had the words, Kaya knew that the judgment had no place here. 
evil was not in play, just life pulsing on. Even at the expense of some of the players, biology sees the right and wrong as the same color in different light. Of all the reasons people give for feeling short-sighted by Christianity, I wonder, I wonder if suffering has to be the most common. UNC Chapel Hill professor Bart Ehrman famously coined, this is a God's problem. He wrote a book by that actual title, and it points to the suffering as the reason that he himself lost his faith. Ehrman argues that the Bible does not offer a single sufficient response for why we suffer and confesses that the Bible's inability to answer this question made it impossible for him to believe. For him and many others, the reality of suffering means that either God does not care or that God can't do anything about it. Either way, he concludes, in his opinion, that's not a, a God worth believing in. There are a lot of speculations on why people suffer. Some suggest this is God's punishment. Others suggest it's at the hands of human sin, while others suggest it is what it is, just a fact of life, some suffering is necessary, like a, a firefly eating another species, just a circle of life. It makes the world go around. What we don't speculate about, what we all can agree on, is the fact that there is suffering in the world. And reading through 1 Peter the last four weeks, I am reminded that suffering is not just a 21st century problem. Suffering has been around since the beginning of time. Throughout the first three chapters of 1 Peter, we're reminded over and over and over about all the suffering that occurs in the world. The letter was written for people who were suffering or about to suffer because of their religion. And then in chapters 4 and chapters 5, First Peter turns our attention to all the suffering and gives us what Sam Wells calls life-giving words that shifts our focus to our response to suffering. In this rare move by the Bible, at the end of First Peter, First Peter provides us with three simple and memorable Steps to help us respond to whatever suffering we as individuals or as a community is facing. So we'll go through those three steps today. Step one, it's about God. What this letter does is to reframe the whole question of suffering as a fundamentally not about us, but turns it on about God. Rejoice, Peter writes, you are blessed. Why? Because you have the greatest privilege of all, which is to be with Christ in the most intimate way to share his sufferings. Remember last week when we said there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is the physical discomfort we feel. Suffering as written in scripture is our resistance to the denial, a sense of injustice about all the pain in the world. The suffering of Christ is both the most tender 
in the most absurd thing about Jesus. They delve into this mystery of God's love for us. The grace that this love continues despite our hopelessness. And the wonder that God will go to any length to be with us, even the cross. To compare our suffering to Christ's passion is to make suffering an entry point to the communion with God. It turns agony into privilege, tragedy into honor, misery into joy. As high school seniors prepare for graduation, many have waited the last few months with anticipation from college and universities to tell them if they've been accepted or not. And if we think about it, there are a lot more rejection letters than acceptance letters that go out throughout the spring. Admissions really is a vast numbers game, and sometimes it's not done as well as others. Last year, the University of California sent out 20,000 rejection letters to a set of undergraduate candidates. And then, in administrative blunder, they sent them out again. It's never fun to be directed once, much less twice. But I also wonder if it takes the sting out of it just a little bit. The first Peter is saying suffering is like this. And stick with me. Initially, it, it makes no sense, the suffering part. But once you realize what's happening, you discover you're being taken into the suffering of Christ. It's like receiving this letter for the second time. The moment where you recognize the feeling you already had the first time you read the letter is the same feeling we get when we realize our suffering is fused with the passion of Christ. And since we've read this part of the letter already one time, you know how it ends, and you know that life will continue. So... You can take the comfort that however crucifying the ordeal is, because it's been fused with Christ's passion, you know it ends in resurrection. And that is our identity. Not some rejection letter or acceptance letter from a college who's filled with lots of blunders themselves. Or the promotion or a pink slip for an employer who's just trying to get through life themselves. Or the latest element. Or diagnosis. Or a status on some false social ladder. Your identity is fused with the passion of Christ. Beginning with Christ's suffering on the cross. Where we have been set free to live in this identity as a child of God. And through the resurrection, we've been given the opportunity to live out that identity today. Not sometime in the future after we die. That's glorious times, yes. But Easter reminds us it begins today. Step two. Step two is about oneself. Notice the first sentence we read this morning. 
and how dispassionate they are. Beloved, do not be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. First Peter is reminding us that we are not special. That suffering will not will take place in our lives. But it also is saying, because we are special in God's eyes, that anxious feeling that we have, the suffering in our lives, that does not define us. The late Harvard preacher Peter Gomez once asked to give a commencement address to a posh Manhattan private school for all girls. The students there were, for the most part, heading off to Ivy League colleges. Gomez preached what he thought was a lyrical sermon of Jesus' invitation to consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet God provides for them anyway. Gomez emphasized that he, what he considered the most comforting words that Jesus ever says. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Afterwards, the father of one of the girls came up to Gomez with fire in his eyes and ice in his voice. He told Gomez that his sermon on anxiety was complete nonsense. Gomez pointed out that it was not his words, it was actually Jesus' words, but the father didn't care. It's still nonsense, the father said forcefully. It was anxiety that got my daughter into school, and it was anxiety that kept her there. It was anxiety that got her into Yale, and anxiety that would keep her there, and it would be anxiety to get her a great job, and it would be anxiety to allow her to climb that ladder. You, my friend, are selling nonsense. First Peter, all of Scripture, Easter, says that Father is wrong. Anxiety, suffering, the Bible reminds us that's no way to live. We all need to get through whatever we're going through. And the cross reminds us that this will require ruthless honesty with ourselves. First Peter says, humble yourselves. Whatever this is that you're going through, don't turn into some melodrama. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be dismayed. Remember, you are special in God's eyes. Yes, but no more special than anyone else. So deal with it. Yes, it's reality, but it won't last. Not forever. And to help us deal with it, First Peter says, cast out all your anxieties on God. Come to terms with when there are too many unknowns. Come to terms with all the profound fears and the gnawing worries and hand all of those over to God. God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubts. God can handle your fears. There's nothing too scary for God. There's nothing too big for God. There's nothing that you're going to say that God has never heard before. And once you get into the practice of handing over all your anxieties, First Peter then says, create a routine. God has many of them. The sun comes up, the sun comes down. Seasons follow seasons, year after year after year. 52 times a year, we go through a week. At the beginning of every week, out of routine, God calls us here. 
And as you get that routine and beginning to cope, First Peter says, don't be too hard on yourself. But don't be too soft on yourself either. Find a way to get through the suffering. Because Easter reminds us that suffering should never become our whole reality. Step three. Step three is about others. Resist him, First Peter says. Him is the suffering. Which sounds a lot easier said than done. And why it's important to read the whole sentence. Resist, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Part of that routine that we just talked about has us come to church weekly. Part of coming to church is to build community. God says we resist through solidarity. You are not on your own. To put it in church words, solidarity is called the communion of saints. When we gather here each week, yes, we come to praise God. And yes, we come to equip ourselves for the week ahead. But we also come to praise and equip ourselves in community. When we gather here each week, we are telling every single person in this room, you will never walk alone. Period. There's no mistake in, in the language in the Bible about that. Over and over and over again, the Bible calls us into community. And the Bible says part of doing that in community is never letting anybody walk alone. We get through our suffering in community. As mentioned before, every year, millions of high school seniors receive rejection letters. In response to such letters, there are growing practices in the United States um, called rejection parties. These are boisterous events. Students bring in one letter or many letters, depending on the kid, uh, of rejection from a college to which they applied for, and they destroy them. They restore them in all kinds of creative ways. Some do this just by tearing them up all at one time. Everybody tears the paper up at one time as they shout for joy. Others build a big bonfire and they throw them into the bonfire. In downtown Magnet High School in Los Angeles, Linda McGee, uh, the school counselor, wheels in this large, obnoxious paper shredder. High school seniors parade into the room um, with music blaring. They walk through this line with a rejection letter or letters in hand, and one by one, they feed him letters into this clattering shredder. Sheet after sheet is chopped up in this dramatic fashion. As, and as these letters are getting chewed up, the kids behind them are yelling in joy and shouting for joy to keep going, to keep going. And after all the shredding has taken place, it was a big party with music and dancing and ice cream. All in complete solidarity. Almost. Almost. First Peter takes it one step further when he writes, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. 
quoting Sam Wells again, this is where the three steps come together. God, self, others. Feel the joy of these words. Restore. You will not be in this condition forever. Support. You'll be given help that you need. Strengthen. Over time, you'll become your old self. Wiser, deeper, unscattered, established. You will be in this very different position should all this happen again, which it will. Three steps. First Peter gives the church to respond to our suffering. God, self, others. Rejoice. God has fused God's self into the suffering, into Christ's suffering. Reshape oneself. Reshape. Get yourself together for the long haul. Resist. With others, resist. Join with your brothers and sisters all across the world. God, self, others. Rejoice. Reshape. Resist. Once a year, a board of university campus ministry gets together and they're, they're talking to the chapel staff about the religious life on campus. And an older alum was on the board and he asked, how are the students doing, by the way? There, there was an awkward silence in the room. And finally, the Methodist chaplain spoke up and said, well, I think you'll be pleased with our students. They're ambitious and career-oriented, of course, and they also volunteer just a great deal. They work in shelters and soup kitchens. They tutor after school. They, they build homes for the poor. And as she was going through this litany, the Jewish chaplain around the table started grinning more and more and started laughing to himself and eventually just broke out into laughter. Oh, Eddie, what is so funny, the Methodist chaplain said. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh. But what you're saying is that our students are good people. And you're right. They're really good people. And you're saying that they do good work. And you're right about that, too. I was just sitting here thinking, is the only thing they lack is a vision of salvation. Everyone looked down at this Jewish colleague, and he continued, if you do not have some vision of the God who's redeeming our lives. You can't get up and go to the soup kitchen every day because sooner or later, the suffering that you see will beat you down. I don't know why there's so much suffering in the world. No one does. But I know it's not a God problem. But I do believe it's God's problem. Because out of love for you and me and all of creation, God made it God's problem. So much so he sent Jesus to die on a cross. But through the suffering of Jesus, God has fused into the suffering of our world. Well, we have been set free as individuals to live out our identity as children of God. And where we are called to be in community, to begin a life where suffering is not the end.
Friends, this is Easter. This is God's letter to the church of the 21st century. And God's way in solving the suffering problem that this world has. And God's way of giving me and you and everyone in this room new life today. Three steps. God, oneself, others. Rejoice, reshape, resist. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.